With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Lewis Hamilton is now the sole holder of Formula One's all-time win record as he triumphed from pole position in the Portuguese Grand Prix at Portimao ahead of Valtteri Bottas. The race wasn't quite as straightforward as that sounds for Mercedes. At the start, on what was a cold and blustery day compared to the warm and sunny days that had preceded the race, Hamilton and Bottas both struggled to get temperature into the medium tyres that they had been so pleased to qualify on in Q2. Bottas actually lost out to Max Verstappen off the line, but managed to muscle his way back into second at turn three, with Verstappen then tangling with Sergio Perez in a clash that spun the racing point driver down to the back of the pack. But just up ahead, Hamilton was being caught out by light rain as he locked up running into the turn five hairpin. He went deep there but managed to stay ahead, although not for long, as Bottas powered by at turn seven where the track was at its wettest after Hamilton had had to catch a snap of oversteer coming through the kink of turn six, which cost him momentum. But suddenly, both Mercedes drivers were caught and passed by the fast-starting Carlos Sainz Jr., who was enjoying great grip on his soft tyres having started seventh, with Sainz passing Bottas out of the turn five hairpin on the second tour. Science blasted into the lead as his teammate Lando Norris had passed Verstappen to run fourth and behind the Red Bull even came under brief pressure from Kimi Raikkonen who had gained a remarkable 10 places on a charging opening lap and a half from F1's most experienced driver. Science pulled clear of the Mercedes initially but when they finally fired up their mediums keeping the tyres into the right temperature window was critical across the race they easily got back into the lead and simply disappeared. Bottas held on until the start of lap 20, but as he began to struggle with the vibration caused by tyre wear Hamilton was not encountering, he was just under pressure. 
Hamilton used DRS to blast by into turn one with Bottas defending close to the inside against the pit wall and Hamilton was never headed thereafter save for the lap he came into the pits to switch to the hards before Bottas also came in to take the same rubber one lap later. After Bottas struggled again to get the hards switched on Hamilton established a crushing 25.5 second margin of victory with Verstappen who escaped even an investigation into the clash with Perez finishing third after easily seeing off any faint hope Charles Leclerc had of taking a podium for Ferrari following his long first stint on the mediums. The McLarens had faded as their opening stint wore on, but Sainz was in the thick of the action at the end as he passed the recovering Perez, who had defended forcibly against the charging Pierre Gasly a little bit earlier. That move uh, initially stopped the AlphaTauri's progress, but was deemed bad enough to earn Perez a reprimand, his second of the weekend after the race. In the end, Gasly got by to take fifth, Sainz then sixth, and Perez was seventh, with the Renault drivers eighth and ninth, and Sebastian Vettel rounding out the top ten. Norris was down in 13th after having to recover from a clash with Lance Stroll at turn 1 on lap 18 for which the racing point driver was handed a 5 second time penalty getting another for repeated track limits offences before he retired due to damage sustained in the clash with the McLaren now joining Luke Smith and me we're back from the track at our Airbnb apartment which is just along the coast from the town of Portimao itself to discuss all of that and more via Zoom on motorsport.com's F1 editor Jonathan Noble and GP Racing Executive Editor Stuart Codling now Codders we have finally got through my monologue which might have taken one or two attempts to get all the way to the end but there we go uh, how excited were you at the end of lap two when it was Sainz in the lead for McLaren and not a Mercedes well, it was extraordinary scenes. I was almost as excited as the commentator who appeared to be having a coronary in front of me. I wanted to send sort of medicinal drugs to to sort the poor fellow out. Uh, and yeah, it, you, you almost didn't know where to look. Uh, I, I, I almost thank my lucky stars that I was watching it at home. I was able to rewind and keep a tab on everything that happened over those first two laps because it, it seemed like... All the excitement of the Grand Prix was contained within the first two laps, but then actually it stretched out. There were a few lulls, but, uh, you know, as you've just said in your extensive monologue, and uh, quite frankly, it's it's so all-encompassing, we don't need to do a podcast, really, but um, it, it went, the excitement went all the way to the end. This was a, a Grand Prix which had what Formula One is trying to engineer into future uh, years, which is to have what they call the peak end effect, where there's a lot of excitement concentrated towards the end. So while sort of in the second half of the race, um, the, the battle for the lead perhaps was not up for dispute because Valtteri Bottas had been well and truly uh, stamped out by Lewis Hamilton. There was an awful lot of stuff going on behind them. So, yeah, it was it was, it was very exciting. And um, I imagine, Alex, it's been an interesting and, and, and quite tricky time for you working out what your, you know... <laughs> The, always, always a high bone of contention. The driver ratings are going to look like. Actually, actually, re- relatively simple. I was saying to Luke uh, as I was sort of go. I always like to have a bit of a rough go before we uh, before we record the podcast. Basically, I know it's going to be a difficult one when there's six or seven drivers. I'm really not sure what score they are, but basically, it's only about two of them that I'm either going one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Everyone else has got a pretty clearly defined position. But actually, Colin, just before we move on, and um, for the first time potentially, you've, uh, you've 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 told me something very useful: peak end effect. That's something that I have googled many times because I was like, I'm sure there's this thing that we're all obsessed with and that's what people ultimately want out of life the something being the best it can be right at the very end and for the life of me i i must have tried to put this in one of my columns for autosport plus several times couldn't remember but finally you've come to my rescue so i do appreciate that um but yeah 
Oh, phew. Yes, I know. Thank you. Uh, for, anyway. <clears throat> so, John. <laughs> I've actually justified my existence here for once. I mean, you, 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 were, due. Now, you were due. You were the chance to get there. Yeah. It, 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 it was going to happen once once in, once in a blue moon. And, and here we have it, the blue moon. An excellent beer. Other beers are available. John, um, what was the key to science's amazing start for McLaren? He was seventh on the grid. I think the key for well both him and Kimmy because Kimmy had an absolute stunner as well was getting those tires switched on straight away. Um, it was interesting because it wasn't as though Carlos and Kimmy were the only two drivers on the soft tires. There were drivers ahead. Um, Album was up there. Ricardo was up there on the soft, and they didn't do it basically. Um, quite why whether there was a certain preparation that the McLaren does or that Kimi does that meant they were in the in the window or not didn't really matter but those two came charging through um I think maybe some of the drivers are just also caught out I know Daniel Ricciardo said that when he he was observing the Mercedes ahead of him and when they started backing off he was worried that maybe it was slippery ahead or maybe the grip wasn't there so he too needed to back off he said if he replayed the race again he'd be much more aggressive on the the first lap so uh, I think it's one of those great moments where it's all down to the driver it's not down to the car as such Uh, and those that are willing to take the risks willing to push it had everything absolutely nailed excelled and I think it was really really refreshing to see a different race leader you know if you if you see a Mercedes as, as, as Daniel said in his presser you know if you see a Mercedes slithering uh, all points west ahead of you you're, you're going to think well actually this this patch of asphalt I'm about to arrive on in two or three seconds time is not going to be very friendly so I'm just going to be really really careful and as you said you know actually it wasn't that bad and for, for those first few laps the soft tyre was, was the one to be on but then after that it was definitely not thank you very much for using asphalt and not tarmac codders as per the Autosport style guide um, Luke of always oh yes you are very you are very you are very kind on that um like was it inevitable that the mercedes would get back by because as you and i went for our final and deeply unpleasant covid test of the weekend about seven o'clock tonight um you know we were you saying that this is what f1 wants to get to when we can just have random drivers leading the race and potentially staying there because they've got a decisive advantage by doing something seriously impressive as science did but uh but yeah what was um was it obviously it was given the pace of the W11s always inevitable that the Mercs were going to come back uh, yes it was unfortunately and I think that again as I said to you earlier that does point to where F1 is right now that even if you give a driver who can start what seventh on the grid and catapult himself up the order make it a blistering start as science did and get into a lead and sit a couple of seconds clear that isn't enough to gain any kind of real advantage but that is the issue that F1 has, that ultimately you can have a driver make a blistering start, get up into the lead and sit a couple of seconds clear. And that that really be meaningless. I mean, science by the time by the time we came around for lap six, he was back in second place again. So I think it it does prove really that unless you have some really sort of I guess uh, a, a real damaging effect on Mercedes race, such as we saw at uh, Monza, for example, where Valtteri Bottas was struggling with damage and, and down sort of in fifth or sixth place, and Lewis Hamilton was obviously at the at the back of the pack and had to serve a penalty. That it really did um, that 
that is the only way that you can really stop the Mercedes right now, to be honest. And I think it was it was always inevitable that, yeah, the Mercs were, were going to get passed by the time that those mediums got up to temperature. Uh, but all the same, massive props to Carlos Sainz and McLaren for, for gunning it and for going it. Like both him and Lando Norris said that they didn't want to mess around. They wanted to be aggressive. They really focused on tyre warm-up throughout the formation lap. And, and that was evident, as we saw in the opening stages. And Sainz said it was actually quite easy to pass the Mercedes. Like he said, he didn't really have to put much effort in because his tyres were just that much better. So I think it was, uh, yeah, it was a very dramatic start, but ultimately as exciting as it may have been to see um, a McLaren at the front of the pack, I think we always knew that it was a bit too good to be true and was always only going to last a few laps. Indeed. Now, before we come on to talk about the Mercedes drivers and uh, and the the race for the win up front, God, is what, what were you what were you thinking about Kimi's amazing first lap? I know that I wrote uh, a feature for GP Racing magazine where I interviewed him at Monza, and uh, and yeah, he's, he's F1's most experienced driver, but he can make, as we saw at the Nurburgring, some some quite rookie errors when he clattered into George Russell. Not on not on display today. He was absolutely sublime at the start and very racy with science through the middle phase of the race and did very well to come home eleventh, which is an, a, a a pretty you know a pretty massive class C win and and very unfortunate not to get a point really. Class C is the right thing, isn't it, for anyone with a Ferrari engine? No, the th- thing with Kimi is that. The, I think the Nürburgring incident was uh, a bit of an aberration because he races really cleanly and, and, and that's been something you've seen throughout his career. Uh, and yeah, it, it was amazing to watch that. It, in, the, in the Daniel Ricciardo presser, he said like he, he didn't even see where he came from and he couldn't understand how he'd managed to switch on those tyres because... He was he he was just there, and it just made for a very interesting and an aberrant tapestry for for those first few laps to see sort of and it, it was it was quite nice actually wasn't it to see Kimmy um, in in the sort of the tail end of his career we we actually think that if if if, if we're going to be very strictly honest about it he was probably past his best uh, and past his peak when he was the world champion. And um, for, for him to string out a career 13 years beyond that and to still be up front is, is pretty impressive. Indeed, but it's interesting. I was saying to Luke um, ahead of the ahead of the weekend, we were talking about because, of course, having having written that feature and and also rewatching, I was rewatching the Mercedes episode of the Netflix documentary just for a bit of research for another feature that might be coming up in a very special edition of uh, or or not actually an edition of Autosport magazine, but a and a special Autosport something to celebrate our 70th anniversary. Anyway, um, uh, Raikkonen was running third, fourth up on the first lap in the Alfa Romeo because that's that's what its pace was capable of with that amazing Ferrari engine last year, and obviously now well down the back. But yeah, Verstappen said he was absolutely shocked to see Kimi that far up and in fact had to get pretty firm with him when Kimi even went on the offensive against Verstappen at the Turn 5 hairpin on lap two because because Max was just like, I cannot afford to get stuck behind an Alpha and I needed to get charging after the McLarens ahead and then the Mercedes. And of course, Max has been pretty offensive himself this weekend, hasn't he, in uh, <laughs> other <laughs> spheres? Sorry to interrupt there, carry on. No, 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 there, there were certainly some uh, some really not on radio messages from Max Verstappen on Friday. Luke, I know you were particularly unimpressed by what he had to say. Oh, massively, yeah. Like, you just... It's just... Uh, yeah, I, I, and I... Got to be careful with how I say this. Um, it was it was offensive. It was it was ableist, and it's also the fact that everyone's kind of just given it a free pass and let it slide. Like Christian Horner said, but he said, "Well, it's emotion and all of that and whatever." It's it's not emotion. Like I'm sorry, you you do not say those words. And I think it is. Uh, I, I mean, I know we are in 2020. I know sort of the world has moved on to quite a maybe hypersensitive 
place at points, but comments like that are, are unacceptable um, and they, they are offensive. And it was actually quite interesting to have to explain to some some journalists why those comments were why those comments are deemed offensive and why those words should not be used ever and it's just like yeah i'm sorry for a driver who's 23 years old to be coming out with phrases like that and in one of them a repeat phrase that he has used previously and not to have learned his lesson i think is frankly appalling and i really do hope that red bull have spoken to him they have fully put home to him why he cannot say those words um because it, i don't care like i don't care what's going on in the car and um alex and i i mean we listened to blando norris's radio message um when he had his run in with stroll um and lando came out with some very other choice words but they weren't they weren't offensive they were swear words but they were not slurs max verstappen used slurs so yeah i just really hope red bull do tell him to grow up because he needs to yeah, well said, I think, there, Luke. And uh, just instantly on the Lando Norris team radio, he delivers his swearing, which is something that I'm always a particular particular fan of, a good bit of swearing, with excellent comedic timing, particularly the word he uses right at the very end. But anyway, let's move on, as I said. To the... was, it, was it to do with um, John Inverdale's uh, spectacles? <laughs> I believe it was, Goddess. I believe it was. Uh, but as I said, let's, let's, let's talk about the, the battle at the front, front of the race for what there was one between the Mercedes drivers early on. Valtteri Bottas uh, obviously getting ahead of Lewis Hamilton when Hamilton really it, 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 strangely in a way couldn't didn't seem to be able to cope as he normally does so well in the mixed conditions at the start of the race it was actually quite quite strange to see him really struggling he calls on the radio that it's raining and he you know his things aren't going his way Bottas obviously got the bad start from the less grippy side of the grid but seemed to be on top and you suddenly you thought oh well he's done so well in, in practice yeah he's had the knockback the almost typical knockback in qualifying but maybe this is now Bottas's chance to to get ahead and he keeps Hamilton ahead for the next uh, uh, sorry keeps Hamilton behind for the next sort of 15 laps or so and then inevitably Lewis starts setting a string of fastest laps the gap comes down he's all over Bottas he's done his he's done the you know one of the classic hits of this left tire doesn't feel very good oh suddenly you can do another 25 laps and then he gets by in a very easy move Bottas went right off the line kicking up all the dust and um, but you know had no chance to, to hold Hamilton back with the DRS and it just looked as if it was the typical Valtteri Bottas problem. The difference between the two Mercedes drivers is that not only has Lewis Hamilton got that fraction of extra speed over a single lap, he's much, much, much better at managing those Pirelli tyres. We've seen it time and time again. Uh, I asked Bottas, you know, because they said that he said that there was a big vibration on the the mediums before he came in um, to change them. I said, you know, was that caused by a specific incident? Had you flat spotted them? And he said, no, it was, it was just the tyre wear. And again, that's that's what's ultimately ultimately cost him today. So yeah, John, wh- what did you make of uh, Bottas's performance through that sort of that sort of that that critical phase of the race where he fell behind Hamilton and then fell really far behind because Hamilton simply raced away? Yeah, I think the difference between Lewis and Valtteri was, you know, that that. Um analogy between a sprint and a marathon basically so this is a weekend where Valtteri was you know was the best sprinter he was I think it was the quickest over a single lap in theory uh, he had the pace all weekend could pull it off um, in equal conditions when you weren't managing tyre wear he was gone early on and it looked like you know he, he was going to unleash the pace we'd seen throughout practice and was disappearing but Lewis was playing a long game uh, he played the long game in qualifying where he thought what's going to be what will be the elements give me the advantage over Valtteri who's potentially quicker he did those two lap two times laps with a, the um, kind of recharge lap in the middle which gave him the performance he needed for pole position and today he had a setup that allowed him to nurse the tyres and look after the tyres uh, and manage things just much much better 
And in the end, that was the difference between them. Um, he did exactly what he did at the Nürburgring, where Valtteri was gone, saw the tyres where Lewis watched what Valtteri's front tyres were doing, saw there was a, a potential weakness there, pushed Valtteri, Valtteri made a mistake at Nürburgring. Here he just drove past him. So it was just Lewis playing the long game, understanding you know, he didn't need to worry about you know, out-and-out pace to get pole position in qualifying, but he got it anyway. And then the race, that setup was perfect. And... Um, you know, different league today, really. He certainly was. There was there was one uh, another interesting moment in terms of Bottas's tyre strategy was that he came on the radio again once he'd been told that Hamilton had gone onto the hard, suggesting, well, in that case, I'll have the softs. And Mercedes basically very quite firmly said no to him. In fact, as he comes in, as he's as he's on his way into the pit lane, uh, they they get James Vowles on the radio saying, uh, I had to stop uh, Lewis because he had a big vibration, which is basically code for you're not getting the softs because if the mediums can't take it. These are definitely not going to work. But Codders, again, what, what did you make of uh, that little that little attempt by Bottas to try and engineer a different strategy, even though like on the face of it, yeah, it sort of sounds yeah get the softs versus the hards maybe he'd be able to do something but he was so far behind by that stage and had so far to go it didn't even seem to make much sense why he would even be considering it no it was it it was a ridiculous assertion wasn't it and i suppose you know when you hear team radio you're you're only hearing the sort of the selected snatches of it even even when you know we we have the various bits that we get that aren't necessarily broadcast it's it's not the whole picture and he naturally said I want to do the opposite to what Lewis is doing but actually if he had put on softs it wouldn't have been a great thing because Ocon um, who had done a magnificent 55 lap stint on the mediums and gone on to softs was actually not enjoying them at all so if if he had gone on to softs I don't think Bottas would have been able to engineer the the, the miracle result uh, he hoped for and um, it, it was actually quite interesting because just just at the precise moment where Lewis was about to pounce on on Valtteri and, and snatch the lead was um, when 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 Mrs. Codling was inquiring as to my timing mechanism because she was pointing at the screen and going what what is it you're looking at here and I was explaining to her the various bits of, of, of what the timing screen signifies and and I said oh. Um, Lewis is about to kick Bottas's ass. Watch as this happens, and boom! There it happened. <laughs> the uh, the prophetic Stuart Codling there. Um. <laughs> I, you know, I was I was able to sit on my laurels right there, which is something that you know. To, to be fair, you know, we can do as journalists, and you know, a lot of the more venerable ones do do, but something that you know Lewis Hamilton never does, and that's why he's uh, you know among the greatest of all time. Indeed, indeed. Well, look, you went along to the uh, Toto Wolf Zoom call. I say went along, you were, you, you, were, you were present in it, let's put it that way. Um, what was his explanation for why Bottas was not allowed to get the softs? He said he was a bit robust in why they uh, decided not to do it. Yeah. yeah, he said it was, as as you said, simply that the data Mercedes had was that the hard tie would be the best choice for that final stint. And he said that the softs, there was sort of uncertainty as to whether they would make it to the end and still be holding up okay. Uh, obviously, the gap to Max Verstappen wasn't wasn't huge so it was it was sort of if he did have a massive tire drop off then he, he could have been very vulnerable um Toto said that we did see that with both Perez and with Ocon that they put the softs on for quite a short final stint but both of them were really struggling towards the end uh, particularly in Perez's case of course so I think that uh, they were they were very clear about it and Wolf also said that it would have confused um 
Wolf also said that it would have caused some confusion as well. That if you have a driver come in, your lead driver, Lewis Hamilton, and fit him with one tire, and then have the other driver come in and go on to something else, like there's no there's no real way sort of to justify that or to explain it to the drivers. And because ultimately, Mercedes have always said they want to keep things equal. They want to run the drivers on sort of similar strategies as much as they can to give them that equal opportunity and keep things fair. So I think that's uh, that's really what they went for. And ultimately, that if they had given Bottas those softs and they had sort of wildly performed uh, brilliantly and allowed him to cut the gap to Lewis and overtake and take the win, I think Hamilton would have had some serious questions saying, well, why wasn't I given that tyre? So I think it's, yeah, it's... Mercedes are very good at sort of keeping that status quo and all things fair. And uh, yeah, I think that this is the second time in a few races that Bottas has uh, made that request and uh, he's uh, not been not been allowed it. And that's because of how fair they want to keep things. Well, it was, it was, it was interesting when Bottas came out of the pits. Obviously, he, he was suddenly warned as he's approaching the pit exit. His engineer tells him, you're going to have traffic, you're going to have traffic as, uh, as Giovinazzi and Russell sweep by. But he really could not get those hard tyres switched on. But it's interesting. I think Lewis Hamilton was having similar problems because it was just so cold uh, on the track, t- track surface and in the air today. It was uh, actually absolutely tipped it down with rain afterwards uh, in, the, in the hours that followed. Just, fortunately, we were quite lucky, actually, having had our deepest and most unpleasant COVID test of the weekend. We didn't then get utterly rained on. But a few minutes later, the media centre was engulfed in a, in a rain shower um, but anyway I'm completely wasting everybody's time by describing that um, but what was interesting was that Hamilton was saying that was the big battle it wasn't about you know really keeping the tyres alive to a certain degree it was keeping them in the, in the temperature window that was absolutely critical and he said that he was driving the whole race sort of learning lap by lap understanding where he was going to what was best just, just to help with those tyre temperatures because Pirelli were quite conservative in terms of bringing you know the, sort of the hardest tyres they had to this race the the soft was what has been a medium in, in most of the races so uh, so yeah they were just concerned that the the sort of the the roller coaster nature as it was described ahead of the ahead of the race here at Portimao uh, that they would just simply eat through the tyres and and be an issue so that's why they went a bit harder but Hamilton in complete control once the once those tyres got up to temperature there was a, a good little bit of uh, fastest laps exchange between the Mercedes drivers and then Hamilton just repeatedly lowered it again and again and again into a range that Bottas couldn't even get close to and um, he as I said at the start he's now on 92 wins he's F1's sole all-time win record holder but John did you detect a little bit less fanfare this time around because obviously it's only one race on from him equaling Michael Schumacher Mick Schumacher presenting that helmet it's sort of it's just the natural news cycle in terms of it's almost like it's like having the two birthdays one day after another it's the same thing in a way I can understand the pedantry of well yeah now he is the you know the, the sole record holder but achieving Schumacher's uh, Schumacher's record is, is was sort of just as as iconic and difficult and um, so yeah did that did, you know do you agree with that you think there was a little bit less fanfare this time around yeah there was less fanfare and I, th- I personally think you should always celebrate when when a record's broken not when it's been equaled um you know, I thought you know Kimi Raikkonen should be applauded when he becomes the most experienced driver, not when he's not when he equals the record. And same with Lewis. I think you know this this afternoon should have been the moment to really celebrate that world record because um, records are there to be broken, not to be equaled. Um, so, uh, and yeah, I think you know as it goes on now, it will you know he'll keep be beating this record, and the numbers will keep going up, and there'll be. The fanfare will be totally forgotten now and we'll end up at a number probably around 130, 140 maybe in the end where um, we'll rest and then the baton will be handed to Max Verstappen to try and beat it. Absolutely. Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton joking in the press conference that Verstappen's going to have to keep going until he's 40 by the time he might be able to equal Hamilton's record. I guess sort of the... the, the well, he's the, old enough to be a granddad. Indeed. Um, 
it, it, it's interesting. The, I guess the other side of the when do you celebrate the record debate is well, what if something horrible were to have happened to Hamilton and he, and he never got there? It still would have been a great achievement matching Schumacher's record and 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 and, and you know do, doing that far and and that you know it's kind of like you you sort of miss the news of the day as you say, John. Each victory he gets time uh, after today is is going to be breaking the record again in, in a weird way but no i i do i do take your point but um but yeah i'm just uh, obviously defending autosports green cover to those those irritating pedants ye olde annoying people on twitter etc 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 um <laughs> let's go on to go right back to the start of the race max verstappen versus sergio perez codders who is the blame in that collision that's quite a hard question, isn't it? Because the, the stewards decided no one was uh, wholly to blame. Um, was it 50-50? I do, I, do you want me to go out on a limb here? Always. When, when do you not go, when okay. do you not go out on a limb? <laughs> okay, right. I'm, I'm out on the limb here. When he's, when he's reading Alan Bennett poetry in a press conference, I think. It's not poetry. It's prose. <laughs> and I can turn to my left and re- read some more from Alan Bennett's diaries. But, Please um, don't. <laughs> um, I, I, my impression was that Max had basically... Um, he had not performed to his maximum extent he had disappointed himself in the first couple of corners and he was slightly flustered and i i, I replayed the first few corners from various angles a lot and just the impression you got from the the body language as it were of the car was that he, he in the moment he was he was a little bit flustered is perhaps not not the the exactly correct word but he he sort of felt a little bit under pressure and he was being a bit reactive and i think it was his mistake to chop across perez and and catch him there i think it was clumsy and in the moment he was fighting the car and fighting everyone else and i think he'd lost a little bit of perspective of where he was on the circuit is perhaps the best way of putting it and maybe he wasn't really thinking about kind of the long-term consequences of what was going on yeah i think i'd agree with your limb there codders um yeah it was interesting. slightly slightly scruffy weekend from verstappen not the sort of the ultimate performances that we've seen from him so far this season obviously think about the the stroll collision in practice okay it was practice but it just felt extremely needless for verstappen to get himself into that situation um but yeah it's an interesting one on on perez because he had uh, rather a you know a pretty a pretty impressive recovery okay yeah the soft tires really let him down at the end and there was some very questionable uh, defensive driving, but Luke, yeah, what did what did you make of uh, Perez today after he after he'd been spun around? Yeah, it was an excellent fight back, and there was a, a tweet I saw uh, talking about the positions of the two racing point drivers i think in the space of 20 laps they swap positions whereas perez had gone from p20 to p10 stroll had gone from p10 to p20 and it was just a, a real turnaround but no checo was in fantastic form again and i think he really did brilliantly to fight back and sort of the the tire whisper a reputation that he's built up that maybe isn't uh, seen so acutely in formula one nowadays i think he uh, was really able to get those tires into a good window and manage them very well and uh, it was only yeah as you say at the end when he sort of got all the way up into 
obviously a fifth place and was looking really, really good, that his soft tyres just began to fall apart. And then he had the likes of uh, Gasly and Science bearing down on him. And the defensive move against Gasly, I mean, that rightly was pit with a reprimand and Gasly was understandably unhappy on the team radio because it was a, a very, very late swerve from Perez and Gasly really did have to back out of that move. But no, I thought it was a, a very strong weekend from Perez. I think he, again, is sort of uh, proving why he is one of the best drivers sort of in that sort of uh, Class B fight that we have. And I know there's sort of lots of speculation about where he's going to end up next year and talks of obviously Williams and what he could do to possibly sort of save his F1 career and stay on the grid. But I think performances such as the one he put in all the way through this weekend, I think, uh, again, just prove that he's he absolutely deserves a place in Formula 1 next season. Indeed, just uh, just going back to the, the clash with Verstappen, FIA race director Michael Massey was asked uh, after the race, he does a, a sort of a, a, a weird sort of virtual media briefing. I think we've talked about this before. We, we submit questions to people in the media centre and then he gets asked asked about it. And uh, he, he basically the question was, if that hadn't happened on lap one, the clash between Verstappen and Perez, would it have been, would a penalty have been applied? Because obviously there is some discretion and some leniency given into lap one. And he rather coyly said, well, Unfortunately, it, it was that one, so that's so that's what happened. So I think he's sort of reading between the lines. He suggests that yeah, if that had happened later on in the race, there would have been a penalty. Um, John, just coming to that that move uh, that Perez did his defence against Gasly. It's actually his second reprimand of the weekend after he he blocked. Uh, there was uh, impeded. Was it was it not Gasly in qualifying as well? There was one. one anyway. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, that was just off the top of my head. Thank you, Luke. Um, Puts him on two reprimands and very close to a grid penalty uh, soon enough. So he's going to have to be really behaving himself in the future. But yeah, how did you see that uh, that that late defensive move against Gasly? Yeah, too aggressive. Um, I think the TV cameras didn't catch it properly, or kind of the you kind of caught the tail end of it as the cameras saw it first time around. But when you watch Gasly's on board, uh, it reminded me a bit of that incident with Michael Schumacher giving Rubens Barrichello the chop, where you come and watch the in Hungary that year, where you watched the onboard, and Gazi was quite lucky to get out of it, because there was no room, it happened at the last second, and, um, you know, it would have been a massive accident if that those wheels had kind of clashed and launched into the air, so, um, yeah, I think it was worth, I think Perez did overstep um, the line with that, but equally, I do think Sergio was out there today, knowing that he's now driving for a potential race-winning car next year. Interesting. And what, what potentially race-winning car could that be, John? Oh, I don't know. It could be from Milton Keynes. Roundabouts, etc. Anyway, Goddess, while, while we're, we're talking about a racing point driver, let's talk about the other one. Uh, I, th- I thought I'd throw to you. I thought you might mm. have a, an, an, another limb to go on to when it comes to Lance Stroll. Very, again, scruffy probably is quite a generous term for his weekend, considering the not looking in his mirrors in FB2 with Verstappen, although I am, as I said, of the opinion that Verstappen really has to take a lot of blame there. And it's interesting, we asked Michael Massey about that, or I submitted a question via the FIA's uh, media delegates about that, like, well, if basically the, the, the explanation was, yeah, they were both at fault for what happened, like, Scholl should have looked in his mirrors and knew he was there and Verstappen could have backed out of it. And it's sort of like, well, if they both did something, why are they getting away with it? it if that makes sense and um, his explanation of well it was a practice session I was like yeah fair enough but you know it's still an accident that didn't need to happen and, and potentially could have put people into danger but anyway uh, Stroll yes that incident in FP2 then he basically has a very very similar one with Lando Norris in the race although it's sort of it's ever so slightly different because he dives to the outside and then sweeps across but just sort of doesn't seem to expect or, or think about where the McLaren's going to go and then he picks up track limits penalty and has uh, ends up with 10 seconds added to his time even before he retires but uh, yeah you were you were whatsapping me about what driver rating I'm going to give him so what what rating would you give him Codders? 
Um, uh, well, as I said to you in my WhatsApp message, um, I think a three would be exceedingly generous and probably a two, um, just not really top draw driving at all from him this weekend. Just ridiculous. And the, I, I think the icing on the cake, really, apart from the, the various track limits penalties, was, was the stupidity... Oh, the rank stupidity of the whole um, Norris incident where he basically right-hooked him. Now, as, as, as someone who likes cycling, you know, I am a bloody cyclist, as, as people put it um, out there. I, I'm often the victim of what's known as the left hook when a car overtakes you and then basically turns left um, as, as if they've forgotten that you're there uh, that the minute you're outside the cone of their forward vision and this is exactly what he did with Lando Norris so you had where the, this harem scarum approach to turn one where he almost got surprised that Lando was braking for oh stop the press a corner uh, a car in front might actually be slowing down to approach a corner so Lance has to take to the curb to avoid a car that's braking for a corner and to be fair to it there's a little bit of skill involved in not having a colossal accident in the skating across the curb that then ensues but then having actually managed to somehow get his front wheel past Norris's front wheel as they approach this corner. He then makes this direct trajectory to the apex. And this is why the stewards clobbered him in their finding. It, it wasn't the whole stupidity and the harem scarum nature of the whole being taken by surprise and having to go around the outside as, as whoop-de-doo the car ahead hits the brakes it's the fact that he left Norris with nowhere to go because on the inside of that curb there's a sausage curb so Norris literally could not have taken any other angle on that corner without putting the whole nose of his car over that sausage curb and destroying his car so he left Norris with no alternative and it's not as if Norris was has disappeared once he'd put his front wheel slightly past Norris's front wheel the other car is still there memo to Lance and and to my mind uh, the whole sort of withdrawing him because the balance of the car was changing and we didn't want him to spin off was a little bit like the team saying well quite frankly it's it's about time you stopped because you're about to make an even bigger fool of yourself than you already have done Codders, can you not sit on the fence, please? <laughs> okay, well, there you go. I didn't want to have a post up my ass because it's nearly bedtime. You know, it would have been painful. But, um, yeah, you know, we, we cannot equivocate when it comes to circumstances like this. And uh, what a pig's ear of a race. Yeah, completely, completely. Luke has got something I, I to say. I very quickly dip in, Codders. You could be possibly Autosports Grand Prix editor with uh, that knack for driver ratings. <laughs> Maybe that's what uh, Lance, Lance Stroll will be getting. Anyway, sorry, Luke. What? Well, do you know what? What he really needs is a touch of the Patrick head. You know, I've seen so many stupidities. Whatever it is that you do, do it better. But would, but would the Patrick head impression have been given out to the son of the team owner? Like that's that's what that's the position he's in. Is he is he is he going to change like that? Well, yeah, yeah that, Patrick Hedwig. Yeah, yeah, he would have done. That that's how they lost the Honda engine. Just well, I'm not having bloody Satoru Nakajima. Interesting. Well, sorry, Luke. Many years ago, you wanted to make a point. That was quite a segue, wasn't it? Yes. Um, uh, no, you're, you're right, Codders. I mean, and in fact, on Lance Stroll's radio, he was asking 
sort of hinting should we retire the car like a good sort of 15 laps before they did eventually put him in and, and, and end his race and he said like couldn't we be saving the engine here or something like that and Racing Point said well you never know there might be a safety car there might be some rain or something like that but it would have needed a whole lot more to give Lance Stroll any kind of sort of credibility for his performance this weekend because it was it was terrible and I mean Lando Norris who He's normally quite sort of a mild-mannered and uh, rather, I wouldn't say PC, but he's sort of very, very, he's very chilled about stuff. But he was like really angry about the move after the race. Um, as Alex touched on earlier, he used some uh, rather colourful language over the team radio to describe Stroll's move. And uh, yeah, afterwards he said, uh, I don't know why he tried to be a hero. Uh, he obviously didn't learn from Friday, but he doesn't seem to learn with anything he does. It happens a lot. So I need to just make sure I stay away. And it's, it's just, uh, yeah, I think that, that was a pretty scathing judgment and ironically this came less than 24 hours after um in Toto wolf's virtual media session he'd been asked about sort of the rise of pay drivers in f1 and the point made to him that we've got three sons of billionaires probably going to be on the f1 grid next year and um toto was like well who shouldn't be on the f1 grid and the the journalist sort of said well you know you got lance stroll latifi mazapin all their fathers are very rich and toto went to this massive defense of lance and he was like he was italian f4 champion and international f3 champion and he's got two podiums and been on the front row at Monza and blah 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 and he, he's not biased in Toto's own words because he definitely doesn't work with uh, Lance's father and it was a very it was just this massively robust defense and but then Stroll does a performance like that and you're kind of like well it really undermines everything and there were many fans on Twitter sort of saying like well how is it that Stroll is the man losing his seat next season given that performance because you look at Perez Stroll Vettel in that race I mean Perez was a league above the other two so yeah a very very disappointing weekend for Lance Stroll and I fully agree if I may chip in with my driver racing as well that uh, I think a two would be uh, most generous John what would you, what would you give him complete the set yeah two or two or three I think what was what was most unforgivable about it and I, I sense that it seems that Lance found himself almost accidentally alongside Lando. It was as though it was like a, a move where he wasn't expecting, p- planning to do something, and suddenly found himself trying to take avoiding action on the outside, and then thought, oh, that's enough, I'll just turn in. If he hadn't had a crash on Friday at the same corner on the same circumstance of being on the outside, then you could kind of semi-forgive it as um, not really understanding, but having been involved in an incident uh, on Friday, knowing full well what the consequences are and the dangers of being on the outside and not seeing the rival, you would at least think that lesson would have been taken on board when you're in a similar scenario in the race. So I think I think Lando is totally right that you know I think the worst thing about it is just not learning that lesson from Friday. So a really really scrappy weekend. Uh and it comes on the back of a season where Lance appears to have made some progress. That we ha- he has had some good performances and shown good speed and good race results and been battling. But equally, there's been key moments where he's let himself down. Could have won Monza, but um, he made a complete hash of the restart. Uh, and today, well, all weekend this weekend, I think the car's shown itself to be good. And Sergio, you know, lifted his game to you know perhaps his best weekend of the year so far. Um, and it's kind of flicked around the momentum inside Racing Point. 
Certainly has. I'd agree with that on Perez. Thought it was very good, apart from the uh, the naughty defence against Gasly. Um, John, just coming back to you, um, Red Bull and uh, what Verstappen obviously in his customary third place behind the Mercedes drivers, but he was quite a long way behind at the finish, thirty four point five seconds. I've actually got so I'm just going to reveal to everyone. I've actually got paper notes for the first time this season because I happened to come across them in the media sense. They haven't really been, or they've only been they've only been printing them on demand for the for the people that can't get it to work on their laptops apparently. But anyway, um, do you have to wash them before you put them? Up. Yeah, is it like in the gym where you have to spray them? At the moment, I've got them in some sort of salad bowl. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh, make sure the bloke from the Guardian doesn't try to eat them. Then <laughs> that charming fellow from the Guardian is very, very, very entertaining, giving us some good uh, media centre gossip about various needless gripes from some idiots. Anyway, John, back to back to Red Bull. Um, uh, obviously, as I said, yeah, Verstappen third place but finishing very far behind and Christian Horner pretty unequivocal saying if he'd known that, that how long the mediums were going to last that's what they would have gone for and do you think that's really what cost Verstappen so much time was was not having to well, not being able to start on the mediums uh potentially but I think it's one of those races it you know if the rain had come down a bit more on the first lap if we'd had a safety car in that first phase of the race then I think the whole whole outcome of the afternoon would have been different um I mean the warm-up was so bad on the tyres that if it had a lap one safety car, if the rain had come down and then the Mercs slipped down the order even more, then the whole thing would have turned around and suddenly that that strategy that Red Bull picked would have been the right one to do. So I think it's one of those that you make, you're making that decision in hindsight based on circumstances that could have been different. So, um, you know, I think the, at various points of that race, when it was starting to settle down, I thought now would be a brilliant time for a safety car or for a bit of a proper proper downpour just to even it up but by that phase things had spread out too much um there was a little phase where Verstappen was slightly closing in on Valtteri when Valtteri was onto the hards um he thought oh maybe this could get quite spicy but in the end the, the gap kind of stabilized and then it was there to the end Indeed, and you got the feeling that that's uh, that's what Renault were trying to do with Esteban Ocon going out well well beyond fifty laps on a, on his mediums. Um, yeah, God, as obviously you you were entertaining people in the Renault press conferences before the drivers turned up. Uh, how did you assess that team today? Allegedly, yes, you you can perhaps confirm or deny or do whatever you like. But yeah, what did you make of Renault today? Uh, it it was quite interesting actually. I, I've just I have to at this point specify that you know, obviously we 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 sign into these virtual press conferences at a specific time and very often the drivers are not yet ready for us. So rather than, you know, us all just sort of sit and pick our noses we'll or revert, whatever, revert um, to something else. We, we don't revert back, do we? <laughs> Um, was there mention of Leslie Grantham's webcam disgrace as well? Yeah, I think we, we did mock a certain one of our formula, former colleagues. Uh, Thanks for all your help this weekend, Codders. And uh, Leslie Grantham's webcam disgrace was mentioned. And yeah, I, I did do a reading from Alan Bennett's diaries because um, our host from Renault was sort of sitting there going, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not like a stand-up comic. I can't really fill time like this. So I, I kind of felt impelled just to, you know, entertain the audience until Esteban turned up. But yeah, it, it was a game of two halves for Renault. Obviously, Daniel Ricciardo was on the soft tyres at the start. And he said he really struggled to warm them up. And he was sort of surprised to see um, Kimi Räikkönen come past him, and to them have to be to be battling with him because the, the the balance wasn't quite there. I I, I don't think 
the the, the whole Renault package wasn't quite there um, for this race. And, and and Johnny, you were you were kind of pressing them on 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 this matter of of, of where they actually felt they were because the the Nurburgring was. A, a, a circuit and conditions where you would kind of thought they'd be similar and yet they were stronger there but um yeah certainly Ocon said he could have done the whole race on that one set of medium tires and and that's why they they left him out so long because they sort of felt that there would have been an advantage there and it was only then when he went onto the softs and they didn't work that it was like oh well this didn't really work then so both of them had to work pretty hard I, I think Daniel was putting a little bit of a brave face on the fact that the the strategy had engineered it that his teammate had beaten him. Uh, I, I think he the to, to start the race on the soft tires was very definitely the wrong thing to do in 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 the long run. You had a few seconds in the sun if you managed to switch them on, but after that it was a very hard slog. So I think he did the best he possibly could and Ocon. You know, it, given that they were going to stick him on the softs after that, I suppose he did the best he could as well. It, it had had they put him on hards after that and maybe stopped him earlier, things could have panned out a little bit differently. But I think they probably felt they came away with the maximum they could possibly have done this weekend. Indeed. Well, let's come on to talk about a pair of friends who finished fourth and fifth. That's Charles Leclerc and Pierre Gasly. Leclerc, again, very, very quick in qualifying when Sebastian Vettel was definitely very, not very quick for Ferrari. And Gasly absolutely charging in the race. It was interesting because he he seemed to be one of the few drivers that could make the soft tyres work in that first stint. But what did you make of Gasly today? Yeah, uh, like you say, it's a brilliant performance. He, he made the soft tyres work and he made them last, uh, which was was pretty crucial to the outcome of the race for him and it was almost disappointing for those of us who who attended the Christian Horner press conference which as usual happened with two minutes notice um you have to sit waiting for your email to ping uh, and for him to sort of pour cold water on Pierre's chances of um getting back into that red bull seat because Certainly for me, that was a, an impressively controlled race. People say that he's a temperamental driver, that he's psychologically fragile, that he needs a car that's friendly towards him. And I would say that maybe the third of those caveats applied here in that clearly the um, <clears throat> the, the AlphaTauri car is, is less unstable at the back. It's a little bit less edgy than, than, than the Red Bull. But... Um, you know, he's he's a driver who's maximising what uh, he has in front of him and, and, and maximising what he has underneath him. And to actually make those soft tyres work over that first stint, I think, was, was the cornerstone to him having a great result today. Absolutely. And indeed, as I said, another very fine performance from Pierre Gasly. Um, John, what, what, what was the feeling down at Ferrari after the race? You've got one driver very, very strong all weekend, another one, the other one not strong in qualifying, but did at least go forward in the race to claim the final point, Sebastian Vettel. What was the team saying afterwards about its weekend? Um, yeah, positive in terms of definitely in terms of Charles and his his performance. They obviously bought a three three staged upgrade package the last three races. No dramatic, you know, it's not a dramatic leap forward, but it's delivered a little bit. Um, so I asked Mattia um, whether he felt that the, the, the step forward they've made since Magello in particular was down to the upgrades or was it the track? He thinks it's partly the upgrades. Um, he thinks the midfield battle is so tight actually that. You know, even just a one-tenth or two-tenth difference is is making the difference between qualifying 12th and qualifying 4th. Um, 
but they're still mindful that maybe the track configuration of Nürburgring and here helped them. It's high downforce, which their car, the car's got high downforce. It's just not very efficient. And this isn't a track that demands efficiency. So they still want to see a bit more progress. Um, and another difficult weekend for Sebastian Vettel. Um, he's struggling uh, with the car. He says it doesn't feel, it doesn't have confidence on the edge. He feels that, that Charles is able to feel the grip of the car better and when you can feel the grip of the car better you can push the car even harder um so it's trapped in this vicious circle some of comments some comments that Vettel made to RTL tonight talking about biting his tongue not wanting to say why he thinks there's a difference between the two cars there's fuel speculation that maybe Ferrari are favoring one driver over the other or handing them different equipment but Matthias shot that down and um, when you look at the Constructors' Championship battle, you know, they're currently uh, 33 points behind Racing Point and they want to finish third in the Constructors' Championship. So there's a lot of money at stake in moving forwards that's still in reach for this team if they can start rattling the results. So it actually makes no sense for them to be deliberately hobbling one driver to not finish in third place in the Constructors. So you think from that perspective, it's not happening. But what I sense may have happened is that this upgrade package has played towards Charles maybe more than Sebastian because um, Charles admitted tonight talking about the recent progress of the car and he says, yeah, well, I'm happy with the upgrades and they're suiting my driving style. So maybe this is the answer as to why we're seeing this this difference between the two drivers. Well, it would certainly makes sense considering Leclerc is there for the long term. But anyway, we head back to Italy for yet another Ferrari home race. Gone, Codders, what have you got to say about the Scuderia? <laughs> I, I, I was just going to say that Vettel had to have a long sitting on the hard tyres. And to be fair to him, he actually made that strategy work. You know, obviously he was starting from a disadvantageous position, which is caused by his poor qualifying performance. But um, he, he, he made a strategy which wasn't going to set the world alight uh, actually work. So he did a fairly good job, but probably not one that is concomitant with the amount he's paid as a four-time world champion well just before we move on to our final topic uh, for this podcast i just think it's worth uh, worth noting how well leclerc did to qualify on the medium tires because really only this year it's been the mercedes and the red bull that's been able to do that because they've got such a pace advantage so yeah hats off to leclerc for, for getting through there um well yeah let, let's come to our to our final topic which is uh portimao on the track itself the first portuguese grand prix since 1996 f1's first race weekend visit to portimao uh, as we explained in another podcast we're not calling it the argave international circuit um, per the original instructors in the autosport style guide because we have changed it for very sensible editorial reasons but luke your first visit to portugal my first visit to portugal do you think f1 should come back next year if 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 the option is there yes yeah um i i've I'd never been to portugal before i would never been to portimao before and it's been it's been a for the most part as we are about to get on to of course it's been a, a very pleasant weekend it's been nice it's a nice area portimao itself is very nice obviously like a, a resort town basically um Everyone speaks English, obviously, because you've got all the, the Brits come over. They're advertising pints for 90 cents and things like that. So it's all, all very catered to the to the, the British tourists. So I think it's... Uh, no, it would be it would be a very popular weekend, I think, for F1 if they were to commit to doing this race on the long term. The track itself, obviously, all the drivers sort of said about the resurfacing and how difficult that made grip levels. But we did see some really nice side-by-side battles. I believe it was Raikkonen and Sainz who had sort of a good sort of sequence of corners and Perez and Ocon 
on as well. So those kind of fights, that's what we like to see. So I think the track itself, it does tick a lot of boxes. The big thing, though, that they really, really do need to get on top of is the traffic situation. And I think anyone who went to the French Grand Prix in 2018 will have flashbacks of just how terrible that was organized and just what an absolute logistical mess it was. And you had fans stuck in cars. Codders was obviously caught up in that mess as well. And it is it was just, it was a nightmare. But the French Grand Prix, they reacted and they were like, okay, we're going to put in measures. And they did that very well for the following year. Now, Alex and I set off this morning. We left, what, four hours before the planned race start? Um, which, was actually, which was actually a reaction to getting caught in traffic on the way into qualifying and thinking, oh, we should probably leave about an hour later than we had, so an hour earlier than we had been planning. And yeah. <laughs> And then the journey that should have taken about 25 minutes ended up taking two and a half hours. And we got sent around all kinds of motorways. Portuguese rosas, don't know what they were doing. It took an argument with one to get onto the right road to actually get us to the track that was meant to get get us there and that we were allowed to go on because, of course, we've got an F1 media sticker. Therefore, we we get a certain privilege to go to the track. I hope you prodded it meaningfully as you went. You know, you, you, we, you, we certainly you did. We certainly did. Going, we're media. Dear darling. <laughs> well, it certainly wasn't the fact that we wanted to get ahead of anybody. It was just the fact that there was the car park we were supposed to, to park in. They were going to send us to completely the wrong direction. I don't know where we would have ended up. So yeah, it wasn't a case of we were demanding any preferential treatment. It was just we need to be allowed to get to the bit where we can when we can do our jobs. But yeah, it was it was absolutely appalling. There was there was there was it was it was it was horrific at times. Um, and also reports unconfirmed. We are going to be um, getting in contact with the promoters of the event that there were fans denied entry uh, to the race because things got so late and. And pushing and shoving with people not letting them in obviously as I said unverified don't know how true that is but we saw it on social media and if that's true that's even more unacceptable and a, a source I spoke to suggested that yeah the track's great but the organisers just aren't, aren't used to putting on a massive event like this and, and if they want it to come back no guarantees who knows what's going to happen in the future they've, they've got to sort that out because it was absolutely appalling today but anyway that's Luke and I's uh, Luke and I's gripe what did uh, what did you guys make John what did you think of uh, Portimao being on the F1 calendar and how calm were you for those two and a half hours this morning it's Alex extremely calm <laughs> extremely calm <laughs> I tell you what, I was, I was, um, I was slightly more calm yesterday when I had a little bit of a logistical bit of forgetfulness that I'll reveal on our end of year podcast. Uh, oh, this sounds good. Podcast, but anyway, yeah. Anyway, well, as I said, you'll, you'll have to wait for the end of the season, John. But yeah, what did you make of uh, Portimao? I liked it. I thought it looked great on TV. Um, the the elevation was great. Um, that helicopter shot that they had of which caught the final four or five corners looked fantastic. I liked the cars popping over the brow on the start finish straight and I loved the last corner um, just the way that the, the cars came through there um, looked fantastic and I think actually um, I asked Daniel Ricciardo tonight you know why this track in on paper shouldn't be good for overtaking because there's no really heavy you know long straight into a braking zone you haven't got what used to be thought as the way to make a good racetrack would be t- is to have a super slow corner long straight other super slow corner uh so on paper it should have been terrible for racing but it worked uh and i asked daniel why this was he says one factor was the low grip surface so a lot of mistakes was allowing um a bit more side by side action but you think key to actually was having a flat out long final corner onto the straight um because it allows you to pick up the toe much earlier so you can close in on the cars ahead 
um, which maybe in the end contributed to DRS being a bit too powerful. But he thinks it's an important lesson for racetracks. He says you look at Barcelona, which went from a high-speed final corner to a slow-speed chicane. He says by the time you've balanced out the, the, the concertina effect of the car in the front getting extra traction and accelerating first and got into the toe, you're halfway down the straight. So there's no chance to overtake at the first corner, whereas here you're picking up the toe much earlier. So he says Barcelona should go back to what it used to be, a high-speed corner onto the straight. Um, so I think there's some important lessons to take away from this weekend because I thought it was you know, a really good race today, tons of action, and some of those side-by-side moments were fantastic. This what used to happen in Hungary, wasn't it? That they had the concertina effect at the final corner. It was only when they extended the the straight a little bit that that remedied that. Indeed, and and Codders, what what did you make of the elevation changes? There was an amazing question pitched to Michael Massey about the the, the dimensions in the FIA guidelines of basically that you know how steep the hills could be and whether the whether that would expose the cars too much it was it was so incredible i think massey very tactfully suggested that he wasn't quite aware off the top of his head of those dimensions and that exact wording but uh yeah an entertaining track i, I actually thought having having watched it trackside in fp1 it was absolutely phenomenal brilliant venue once you got inside yeah, it looked good, and I, I, I envied Luke having gone for a, a run round the I also ran. circuit. Because did you as well? Oh, a very good way. I envy you both of having run for who won. Oh, what was your time? I don't know. I, I think it. I think it was fairly close. But okay. again, oh, don't give me this. I don't know if it's not on Strava. It didn't it happen. It's on Strava. Hang on. I, I stopped it. three times to take a quick photo. But I will, oh, excuse coming yeah, in. Yeah, I know because this 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 is so millennial, isn't it? Sorry, I had to take a selfie for the ground. Yeah, exist. obviously. Yeah. I did that as well. Oh, if you, so if you we, haven't grammed it, then it hasn't happened. It's completely even circumstances. I, I could also could you could you not have, have run it twice? And you have your one run where you stop and fart around doing your photos for Instagram, and then you have your other proper series. No, because run. we were hard at work on the other nights, apart from Saturday night, where we definitely had a nice dinner and some beers. Um, I was 24 minutes, 33 seconds. Oh, 24.50. Yes. Oh. Victory. Oh. Victory. Well, shouldn't have stopped to take those photos. Damn. Oh, the fabulous. Um, yeah, it, it looked good. And um, interestingly, um, Mrs. Codling also, who, you know, I, I didn't go down to the Lord Heseltine Theatre to to watch this Grand Prix. I, I, I watched it upstairs. What's your upstairs and, called? Yeah, the Cat House. Uh, cat House? Um, well, do you know, they treat it. Sounds, it just sounds a bit seedy. Um, anyway, so carry on. <laughs> Would maybe to you, Alex, but uh, <laughs> uh, in in the norm, the living room, whatever it is, not the Lord Heseltine Theatre, um, and and I did I'd caution Mrs. Codling that it was not likely to be a fantastically thrilling race because the 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 layout of the circuits appeared on 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 the face of it to to militate against uh overtaking and, and thrilling us she looked up from her kindle and went mm, well pfft. as if to say well go downstairs to the lord heseltine theater and watch it with your ipad with your <laughs> facts and figures that i can't with your timing mechanisms uh, on it your timing mechanisms um and and that she did actually a, a while later looked up from the kindle and said you know, this looks quite up and down. It's quite an interesting circuit, isn't it? And, and I, I, I was quite amazed, actually. Some interest, but um, yeah, it, it it looked good. And the 
it also it didn't look artificial. You know, if you look at some circuits that have, have, have been built in the past 20 years that feature elevation changes that have been done by earth-moving equipment, for instance, the Slovakia ring, which basically has a, has a mound in the middle that is, is the result of bulldozers at work. It, it just feels sort of fairly natural, which, which is kind of puts it in the context of other circuits that, make use of topography you know we all worship spa another great circuit to run or cycle around uh which which, which follows the the natural contours of the land it, it didn't feel artificial it, it was it was very nice in that regard absolutely andy some of those when you were coming down the the steep bits of this track you were really just you were sprinting without even thinking that you should be sprinting or like telling your legs to do that because the gravity was having such an effect it was just, it was so steep so it was uh, it was definitely very interesting i mean we are we are being quite flippant and uh, but also quite punchy about the the, the traffic situation and, and things like that but it's worth noting that because of covid i mean that's the reason why we're here first of all but there were there were hardly any fans here it was like 20 29 27 29000 it was massively reduced imagine if there'd been 100000 or 120000 like hmm. it would have been complete chaos so anyway yeah less they didn't really learned. look very socially distanced um from, from where i was watching either no i agree with that because we from the media sense we had a view of the uh, final grandstand and yeah i was sort of looking over thinking oh that's, that's quite full like yeah very strange indeed but there we go we should bring this podcast to an end i've got an enormous amount of writing to do before i'm allowed to go to bed uh which i will like to crack on to so anyway i should say thank you very much to the three of you for coming on to this podcast tonight and thanks to everybody listening along now just before we go we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of autosport magazine came out on thursday and is available on the supermarket shelves and in news agents as well as on the doormats of subscribers there'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every thursday packed full of news analysis and the usual stunning photography and of course if you want unlimited access to autosport from the comfort of your home visit autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.